All right, question and answers. Let's check the old email here. Uh, this one looks interesting. Bill Gates notification. Hmm. Official winning notification. It's obvious that this notification will come to you as a surprise. But please try find time to read it uh, carefully as we congratulate you. Winning emails in a second. Therefore attracted a cash award of $650,000. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Friday, November the 4th of 2011, and I am your insane, goofy host at times, Toby Logston. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, No, I did not really fall for that scam, but, (laughs) you know, I, I don't know why it is. I get uh, like a hundred of these emails every week uh, letting me know that I've won like all this money. And of course, they're all scams. Um, (laughs) The funny thing is, I mean, uh, you know, I I get so many of them. Um, Well, maybe it's not so funny. It makes it hard to wade through all of my email because I get so much spam in my email. My spam filters have gotten better over the years, but uh, wow, I get a lot of these. Never fallen for it, though. I can tell you that it's... uh, it's sad that these guys actually continue doing this. I don't know if it's the same people or what, obviously. But anyway, no, I did not really win $650,000. Uh, and I did not really think I won $650,000. I just have always, I've, I've had this tradition of starting off the question and answer lessons with something kind of goofy. So uh, there you go. And I believe it's been actually two and a half years since we've done any question and answer lessons. Uh, And one of the questions I got is, why don't you do Q&As or apologetics anymore? Uh, Real quick, before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and address that question. Basically, um, there are a few reasons. Um, We got a lot of repeat questions back when we were doing the Q&A lessons, and I didn't want to give you guys, you know, repetition, you know, the same questions over and over and over again. Uh, Instead, what I do is, you know, when people send in the questions, I'd say, well, you can get your answer in, you know, in this lesson uh, that we've already done. Uh, so that was one reason. Another reason was because there were a, a small handful of people who um, who were asking like several questions per week, uh, and honestly, I, I just don't have time to keep up with that many questions. And I feel bad when I, um, you know, when I don't respond. Uh, but when I'm getting you know three, four, five questions a week every week from the same person or the same people. Uh, It's something that I just don't have time for. Uh, And finally, I guess the the main reason is that apologetics for me, uh, it definitely has its place, but um, I'd say that it's not the most important thing in the world to me, because what I've realized is that apologetics um, is about uh, understanding and winning arguments, basically. Um, But Honestly, you can't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. You just can't. You can love them into the kingdom of God, and your your life can be a testimony to that, um, to, to the fact that your life has been changed, and it should be a testimony that would make other people say, hey, you know, I want my life to be like his. But um, 
So anyway, I just saw that apologetics wasn't the most important thing in the world, and it's not going to win anybody into the kingdom. It will strengthen the conviction of people who are um, who are already Christians, and I believe that you know people who don't believe but who have heard apologetics arguments, they'll have to stand before God someday and and say, hey, you know, I have to admit I uh, I rejected reason completely. But, uh, you know, it all goes back to what Jesus said. Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So apologetics can only go so far. So hopefully that gives you guys kind of a sense for why we haven't done a Q&A lesson in, <clears throat> in two and a half years or so. But anyway, I do have my wife, Christina, here, and she'll be reading the questions and maybe offering a little bit of input here and there. But uh, let's go ahead and start with our first question. Uh, Christina, if you can read our first question. Okay, our first question today comes from Carrie. And Carrie asks, Hi, Toby. I need to ask you something on marriage, if you don't mind. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking I want to leave my husband, but I know God hates divorce, and I know our vows for better or for worse until death do us part. But I married him for the wrong reasons 17 years ago. Now I'm a Christian, and I find it even harder to live with him because he is not a Christian. I'm a little confused about what the Holy Scriptures say. My friend says it's going to get harder to live with him the closer I get to the Lord. She also says light and darkness can't live together in harmony. And also, she's saying my husband is not the best spiritual leader for me, not like a godly man would be. He drinks a lot when he does drink, and I'm not happy within our marriage. He is anti-Christ and is testing my insanity. It would be harder to leave him than to stay. And I know Apostle Paul said I should stay. But what do you think? Should I stay with my husband? I know I probably need marriage counseling, but your opinion would be helpful since I trust your knowledge of the Bible. I know I should be seeking the Lord on this, but I don't seem to be getting anything from him. Is it the right thing to stay and stick it out? Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your question. That's a that's a tough question. Uh, there's there are some tough issues in there that definitely need to be addressed. Um, let me start by saying this: marriage is one of those things uh, that I take very very seriously. Um, Christina and I have been married for uh, going on 16 years. We'll have be having our 16th anniversary next month. Um, so I, I take marriage really seriously, and it sounds to me like there are actually a few issues here that need to be addressed, but uh, let me start with just what appears to be a little bit maybe confusing to me. You say that you know that the Apostle Paul would say that you should stay. I think that's pretty clear, and, and I agree with you on that point. He would. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul writes, But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. So the most important part of that entire verse is that Paul is saying that this isn't according to his own authority, but that this is what the Lord himself has instructed. And he goes on to write in verse 13, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband, that that would be your situation, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. So there you have Paul's instruction on the matter, which he says is also the Lord's instruction. Um, that's not the confusing part for me. The confusing part for me is that you preface the fact that you know Paul's opinion by saying that you're confused about what the Bible or the Holy Scriptures say. Well, Paul's writings are 
part of the Holy Scriptures. So this is what the Holy Scriptures say, exactly what Paul has already told us. But Paul isn't the only one who had something to say about this this issue. Apparently, uh, there were several women in the early church who had unbelieving husbands because Peter took the time to address this very same issue, writing, quote, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, in other words, if any of them are not following Jesus, uh, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. That's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So the point that Peter's making there is that a married woman who follows Jesus is the best chance that an unbelieving husband has of ever putting his trust for salvation in Jesus and thereby being saved. So to be honest with you, uh, and, and this is a harsh reality, for you to leave your husband and, and to divorce your husband for being an unbeliever would be probably the most hateful thing that you could do to anyone on the planet. Because if he knew that you were leaving him because of your faith, he would resent your faith more than you can imagine for the rest of his life. And the chances of him ever being saved would be diminished. Of course, you're not responsible for that per se. He'll have to answer to the Lord for his own unbelief. But you don't need to hurt his chances of, of being there and uh, and receiving salvation. So this is this is really serious, serious stuff, Carrie. Um, there are only two um, situations in which the Bible allows for divorce, adultery and being divorced by an unbelieving spouse, as Paul notes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. But even in those situations where it's allowed, where it's permitted, it's still optional. It's not mandatory. It is optional. The biblical model for every type of relationship, any type of relationship, is always, always, always reconciliation. Work it out. Find harmony. Be at peace with all men. Uh, I would beg you, honestly, not to leave him. Marriage isn't easy. Anyone who tells you that marriage is easy, just maybe they haven't been married long enough, or maybe they're not being entirely honest with you. Um, marriage takes work. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice and selflessness. And I want to encourage you as strongly as I possibly can to commit to those qualities in your marriage. Now, the other issue that I wanted to address kind of briefly here is, is what your friend is telling you. Now, obviously, I don't know your friend, but it seems to me that she's really confused about this issue. She's completely contradicting um, what is explicitly given as instruction in the Bible. And I fear that you're perhaps dishonoring your husband by allowing her into your ear, allowing her to counsel and advise you. The people you want as counsel are godly people who love and are committed to Jesus and who can guide you around fields of spiritual landmines. And this friend of yours, honestly, uh, and I, again, this is a harsh reality, this friend of yours is honestly just leading you right through a field of spiritual landmines. And she's leading you based on her own opinions rather than on what uh, is given as clear instructions in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that you should necessarily abandon the friendship, uh, but I am saying that, first of all, you, you shouldn't be letting her speak advice into your life. And secondly, I would encourage you to honor and value your husband above your friend. You are one flesh with your husband. You're not one flesh with your friend. Uh, Make it your goal 
to win your husband over with godliness. And when things get hard, seek solid Christian counsel from your pastor, whether that's marriage counseling or whatever, or from friends who are committed to living by biblical standards. Um, is there anything that you'd want to add to that, Christina? Uh, yeah, not not too much more that I wanted to add. I, I agree with everything that um, Toby was saying there. But I would recommend maybe two books for you to look into. The first is a study that Toby and I have actually gone through, and it was excellent. I recommend it for anyone who's um, in a good marriage, a struggling marriage, any any of the above. It, it's great for all marriages. It's called Sacred Marriage, and it basically is looking at the point is what if marriage was designed to help you become more holy versus make you happy. And it's a very interesting way to look at marriage, and I think it's a very biblical way to look at marriage. So I encourage you um, on your own um, or with your spouse to go through that book. And another book specifically for you, Carrie, um, is a book that I did years ago at a time in our life when um, Toby was not attending church with me, and it was called The Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy O'Martian. It was very good, and it gives you some different ways to look at things and some different um, ideas on how to be praying for your husband at this time. So those were just two things that I would add. Yeah, Stormy O'Martian and her husband have actually written several books on uh, praying for your family, praying for your spouse, and so on and so forth. And Sacred Marriage was written by Gary Thomas, I believe is his name, Gary Thomas. Uh, and yeah, that was excellent. That, that would be good for any marriage, like Christina said. I'm in complete agreement. So anyway, Carrie, I hope that answers your question. Uh, let's go on to our next question, Christina. Okay, our next question comes from someone anonymously, and they write, Toby, I have been listening to your podcast for three years now. I got married about 10 months ago, and I am having an extremely difficult time displaying temperance. I come from a long line of men that have bad tempers. I honestly thought it was something I left behind me in my teenage years, but ever since I got married, I find myself losing control again, and I end up hurting those around me, and I feel like the biggest idiot because I am repeating the same mistakes that pushed everyone out of my dad's life. Any encouragement or advice would be appreciated. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I I really, really, truly respect you for having the courage to admit that there is a problem when it comes to your temper. Um, a lot of people who have a problem with uh, with anger or with domestic abuse, they'll try to sweep it under the rug or they'll blame their spouse. And either way, what happens is they deny that there's a problem on their end. And it's pretty typical for someone with a bad temper to either stay in denial or to say, hey, you know, it, it could be worse. So with that said, however, I do want to encourage you to take full responsibility for your own actions. Uh, you say that you come from a long line of men with bad tempers, but I want to encourage you to just forget about that. There are no excuses. And I'm not saying that uh, that you're trying to make excuses. To the contrary, I, I think you're courageous for wanting to be different. We all come from a long line of sinners, however, and we'll have to stand before the Lord someday to give an account for our own actions. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit includes things like patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. So the potential for you to experience those qualities in all circumstances, it's in you, brother. It's just a matter of tapping that unused potential and making it actual in your life. And I'm not just singling you out. We all have those qualities inside of us potentially, but we're also all 
in the continual process of learning how to live those things out in our lives. Uh, I think it's important to note that it's not a sin to be angry, but that it becomes easy to sin when we're angry. Anger becomes sin when we don't keep a leash on it, when, when we don't keep a leash on our sin and control it, but instead we allow it to control us. Paul wrote, be angry and do not sin in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Anything I mean, anything, whether it's uh, food or uh, alcohol or whatever it is, temper, anything besides the Holy Spirit that controls us is bound to lead us into sin. James chapter 1 verse 20 says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So my advice to you is twofold. First of all, and I, and I think it sounds like you've probably already done this. First of all, confess your sin to the Lord. Open up to him. I mean, like really be transparent with him and continually ask him to lead you to freedom in this area of your life. Uh, you just got to start training yourself. Train yourself as soon as you feel yourself starting to lose your temper to react by removing yourself from the situation and immediately praying. I mean, immediately praying. If you're driving and you get angry, pull over and start praying rather than engaging in the situation. Now, that's not going to be easy, but commit yourself to doing it. It's got to start somewhere. Uh, The second piece of advice that I'd give you is to confess your sin to your wife. Uh, Bring her in on this. Let her know that it's a stumbling block that you have and share with her how desperately you want to change. Tell her that you want to be accountable to her and that you want her to remind you to stop and pray when she sees that you're starting to lose your temper. And tell her that you want her to pray with you in those situations and to pray over you if you don't have the composure to do it yourself. And a third possible piece of advice would be to just talk to your pastor and seek a godly friend that you can be accountable to, someone who isn't afraid to ask you tough questions regularly and someone who's willing to pray for you daily. So anyway, I hope that helps, but uh, it sounds like you've, you've made some of those first steps, but don't stop there. Keep going. You, you can do this. It's, it's in you. You can do this. Let's go to our next question. Okay, our next question comes from Jeff, and Jeff writes... I have just started listening to your podcast within the last couple of weeks. I'm learning more from you than I ever have from anyone else. I just want to say thank you and God bless you. I also wanted to ask you, is 10% of your gross income what God wants or is that just what everyone believes because of the money-hungry Christians that want you to keep giving and giving and giving, like Benny Hinn? I have been trying hard to follow 10% of our gross income, but I've been struggling with it and struggling with letting it go because we could be using some of it to get our debt paid off faster. I know it sounds horrible, but I have been struggling fleshly. Well, Jeff, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for your encouraging words. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to know that you have enjoyed the podcast so much thus far. Uh, the issue of tithing, I don't know if that's anything that we've ever directly discussed on, on the podcast. I, I really can't remember. Um, but on our, uh, on our website where, uh, you know, where you can make a, a donation or a, a where you can give financial support for our ministry. I have on there um, a bunch of stuff, kind of my position on this issue. Uh, But let me go ahead and and answer it uh, kind of briefly. To answer your question, should we tithe 10% of our gross income or 10% of our net income? The answer is yes. Yeah, just whatever conviction the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Seriously, whatever conviction the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, go with that. Whether that's net or gross, um, 
Either one. What has the Holy Spirit put on your heart? James chapter 1, verse 5 says that if you seek wisdom, just ask. The Lord has more than enough of it to share with us. So if the Holy Spirit has laid it on your heart to give 10% of your gross income or 10% of your net income or $50 per week or two cents or whatever, the guideline is always the same. Go with what the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Take a listen to our most recent lesson on Romans chapter 14, verses 20 to 23 that we did this past Tuesday. Uh, One of the principles that we covered in that lesson is that if you're feeling convicted of something by the Holy Spirit and you don't do it, it's sin, since anything that doesn't flow from your faith is sin. Uh, I should back up a little bit and say, however, that the tithe is not a New Testament mandate. I'll say that again, just so you guys don't miss it. The tithe is not a New Testament mandate. I know that there are some good pastors out there who say uh, that it is a mandate, and they'll quote passages like Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now on this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. See, this isn't referring to a monetary tithe, however. Um, This is referring to a tithe of first fruits. It's talking about food. Tithing the first fruits was a way of feeding the priests, the the Levitical priests, who didn't receive an inheritance of the land and who didn't receive a paycheck. Um, This promise of blessing from Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 was God's way of reaffirming the covenant of blessing that he had with Israel. And only with Israel, uh, that if they were obedient to the Mosaic law, he would bless them. So here's the question. Are we under the Mosaic law? No. No, we're not. So does Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 apply to us? Absolutely, unequivocally not. Uh, I get sick to my stomach, honestly, when I hear a pastor yank that verse out of context as a way of really just kind of manipulating people into giving more. Either the pastor is dishonest and greedy because he knows that the verse doesn't really apply to New Testament believers, or he doesn't know how to interpret scripture. Uh, Either way, I would personally, and this is just me, I would personally leave a church where this verse was used that way. So should we be giving to the church? Absolutely, in accordance with your blessings and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 10% is a good place to start if you're not sure how much to, to give initially, but it's really at the individual believer's discretion. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can you be a cheerful giver if you give because of guilt rather than grace? Uh, I'll leave that ball in your court for you, but I certainly wouldn't be a cheerful giver in that situation. Also, for anyone who's unemployed and thus can't support their church financially, talk to your pastor and tell him that you want to offer your time and talent instead. If he insists that you give monetarily... I I think you know what my advice would be. Um, But no, don't go deeper into debt. Uh, to support a ministry. Uh, And that's something that's on our website. I I live by that. Um, If you're using a credit card to support our ministry that's driving you deeper into debt, I would rather you pay off your credit card first than give your money to our ministry to help keep us going. Um, One final thing. I wouldn't call those guys uh, money-hungry Christians, necessarily. Uh, If someone's following in the footsteps of Jesus, which is what a Christian 
by definition should be, uh, then they should be hungry for the Lord. They should be hungry for serving and so on and so forth. The truth is that there are people in every profession in the world who are money hungry, whether they'll admit it or not, whether they're following Jesus or not, or whether they're trying to follow Jesus or not. And while I can't judge Benny Hinn's heart, and thus I can't judge as to whether he's wheat or tear, a Christian or a non-Christian, I'll just say this much about him. I don't see a whole lot of fruit in his life that looks like the type of fruit that Jesus wanted us to bear by abiding in him. And that's just my opinion, but that's what I see. Anyway, thank you so much for the question, Jeff. I hope that answers uh, everything that you needed. Uh, Let's go on to our next question. Okay, our next question comes from Daniel, and Daniel writes, I have been listening to your podcast for years, and I have always enjoyed them, especially the apologetics and questions and answer lessons. I am writing just to ask if you have heard of this new discovery in physics that the amount of usable energy in the universe is increasing, and some scientists think that this might prove that the material in the universe has always existed. What are your thoughts and feelings on this? Well, thanks for your question, Daniel. Um, if, if you know me, if you've been listening for years and, and you know me, uh, you know that I like taking on questions like this, something uh, you know where science and philosophy kind of intersect. Um, I'll just say this. It's logically impossible for material to have always existed. It's, it's logically impossible for material to be eternal because it's not possible for there to have been an infinite number of moments leading up to this one. Now, to visualize this, imagine that there's a tape ruler through time that stretches infinitely into the past since everything has always existed. So it would stretch infinitely into the past and ends at the present. Is it infinite? I mean, is it really infinite? No, because that sequence of moments ends at the present, and something that's infinite doesn't have an end. Or, uh, or try visualizing the sign for infinity, which looks kind of like you know the number eight except sideways. Uh, can you find the present moment on that? No, because you can't see where it begins or ends, and yet we exist in the present. So it's actually illogical to assert that material is infinite. Remember this. Logic governs science. Science doesn't govern logic. I'll say it again. Logic governs science. Science doesn't govern logic. It's also important to note that God can be eternal, by the way, since this is something that uh, an atheist or a skeptic would bring up. Well, if, you know, if something can't be eternal, then God can't be eternal. Well, God can be eternal because he has no beginning and no end. Uh, anyway, there's you know there's plenty of scientific evidence out there that the uh, that the universe had a definite beginning, and uh, that there was nothing, and suddenly there was something. Science will always look for a way to disprove that because it proves that something supernatural exists. That is something outside of the natural universe uh, exists by necessity. So the easiest way to address the idea that energy is increasing in the universe rather than decreasing uh, is by pointing out that the philosophical concept behind that theory is that something, that is energy, comes from nothing, uh, which is something that's pretty easy to recognize as a logical impossibility. It's definitely not scientific that something would come from nothing. And further, if it were 
uh, if it was true that something was coming from nothing and that this was an uncaused process, it wouldn't be open to scientific inquiry since science inquires as to how something happens in accordance with the rules of the universe, uh, the rules of physics. So by definition, if energy was increasing without any natural cause, it would be a supernatural event and science can't examine things that are outside the sphere of naturalism. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, that's a lot of philosophy, but uh, hopefully you can you can wrap your mind around that, and that um, brings that uh, to an answer in, in your mind. Anyway, we've got one more question real quick. Christina? Okay, our last question today comes from Sean, and Sean writes, Is it okay to vote for someone who is a Mormon? Good question, Sean. Uh, thanks for sending that in. Uh, is that timely or what? I mean, I'm just going to assume that you're referring to Mitt Romney, who's running for president on the Republican ticket for 2012. Um, a couple of years ago, the IRS uh, decided that uh, there would be no more 501c3s that are strictly on the internet. So we're not a 501c3 anymore, which means that I'm free to talk about this kind of stuff since we're not a 501c3. Um, anyway, my take on, on Mitt Romney, let me, let me address him specifically, and then we'll, we'll go in general, uh, talking about voting for a Mormon. My take on, on Mitt Romney is this. He claims to be a Christian, and that that's really troubling for me because he's a Mormon, and Mormonism isn't Christian. Uh, so that tells me that either A, he knows that he's not really a Christian, but he's lying, or B, he thinks he really is a Christian, but that's only because he doesn't know what Christianity really is, and thus he freely speaks on issues that he's uninformed or uneducated about. Uh, so either he's a liar or he's ignorant, uh, and those are two things that would disqualify my vote personally uh, for Mitt Romney. Um, Aside from that, speaking more generally now, I personally would not vote for a Mormon because I wouldn't want a Mormon in charge of this country. Um, Latter-day Saints teaches some crazy and extremely unbiblical things about America as a nation, and I wouldn't want the President of the United States trying to usher in a new era in our country or making uh, any decisions in accordance with or based on what Mormonism teaches. Uh, That's my personal opinion, but really, you know, I'd encourage you with the same advice that I gave to Jeff a few minutes ago about seeking God's wisdom and following the convictions that the Holy Spirit has given you. Should you vote for a Mormon? Should you not vote for a Mormon? What's your conviction? Pray about it. Seek God's wisdom and meditate on it and follow what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Anyway, that's all the time that we've got for today. Uh, it's been great to get back to a Q&A lesson after uh, a very long break from Q&A lessons. If you ever have any questions uh, that you would like for um, for future lessons, if you want to have a, a question considered for future lessons, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, or if you're in my network on Facebook, you can send it to me on there. Anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and keep growing closer to Jesus. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. 
If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. When we see you, when we see you